Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Well, good morning. It is such an honor to be with you here today and to have the honor of sharing God's word with all of you. And I'm gonna do my best to get through it without getting emotional because this is a really big day with our ordainment and commissioning and, and setting foot on this journey that my wife and I have been getting ready to do for so long. But I am excited to open God's word and share it with you. And, and before we get started with that, I just wanna ask you a really simple question. Have you ever known anyone that loved to give advice about things they were clearly not qualified to give advice about? Now, I can't see your face right now, but I know that there's someone coming to mind. So why is it always the people whose personal finances are a wreck that wanna give us advice on the latest and greatest financial tool? Or it's people who don't have kids that wanna give us advice on how we should raise our kids. Now, if you know me, you know I'm actually guilty of this, giving advice on things I shouldn't. I tend to know a lot of mostly useless information and I love to share it with others to try and help them through situations in their life. But I've had to learn that there are things people just don't wanna hear my advice on. You take personal fitness. I love personal fitness. I lift weights, I run, I swim, I play basketball. But as you can probably tell from looking at me, I also love tacos. I love to eat. And so I don't always live out the principles I know about personal fitness in such a way that leads me to living a truly fit lifestyle. And so I've had to learn that people just don't wanna hear what I have to say about fitness. See, here's the point. When it comes to taking advice from others, we don't so much care about how much they know about something. We care about how they have lived it out in their life. That's why if your personal finances are a wreck, I don't care if you know the ins and the outs of the financial system. I don't want you to tell me how to manage my money. But on the other side of the same coin, you may not know much about fitness, but if you put what you know into action to live a truly healthy lifestyle, and it shows by your appearance, people are going to approach you and ask you for advice on how they too can be healthy. Now, it's so key that you get this because in the passage today, Paul's gonna make a similar point about what, how we can get people to take our advice about the things of God, the gospel and God's truth. The passage today is actually gonna be in 2 Timothy. So if you want, if you have your Bible with you, you could open it up to 2 Timothy chapter two. Now, if you've been around the last few weeks, if you've been watching online, you know that as a church, we've been walking through the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy. We've been learning from Paul by reading these books that he wrote to his most, faith, most faithful disciple, Timothy. Now, last week, Jason did a great job with the first half of this passage, showing us that Paul is teaching all of us that we have a need and necessity to pass the gospel on using our lives. And so today, as we look at the second half of the chapter, what we'll get to see is Paul unpack that a little bit and show us how we can leverage our whole lives to share the gospel. Now, there's a really simple takeaway that I want you to think about as we go through this today. It's so simple that I even wrote it down. It's going to come up here on screen. But if you're a person who takes notes, you might write this down right now. To teach the gospel effectively, we must live out God's truth all the time. To teach the gospel effectively, we must live out God's truth all the time. And I know you think that sounds simple, and it is, but it is often the simplest truths of the Christian life that are the most profound. See, sharing the gospel is just like the other issues, the other examples we gave of giving advice. If you want people to take what you have to say about the Bible and about the gospel of Jesus seriously, then you have to show that you're actually living out the truth of the Bible throughout the rest of your life. 
And again, if you watched last week, you know that as a believer in Christ Jesus, we have an obligation and a responsibility to pass on the gospel. So what we will read in this passage today is applicable to all of us. So read with me, open up 2 Timothy chapter two. We'll just read verse 14 to start off. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So you can stop there. So Paul says two really important things right at the beginning of the section of scripture we'll be working through today. First, he tells Timothy to remind them of these things. Now, again, if you watched last week's message, you know exactly the things that he's talking about. And if you haven't, I recommend you go back and watch it because what you will see is that throughout the whole first half of this chapter, Paul tells Timothy of the importance of always teaching others to pass on the gospel. So now he's just saying, don't stop doing that. You might think of the Christian life in just two steps. When you get saved, start passing on the gospel. And then step two, just don't stop. But the second half of this verse is really interesting because then Paul gives an alternative to what he wants them to do in passing on the gospel. And oftentimes when we think of the alternative of passing on the gospel, we think of silence on the gospel. But that's not actually what Paul points to. He points to quarreling about words, which damages the hearer. See, here's what Paul's saying. The opposite of passing on the gospel isn't silence on the gospel. The opposite of passing on the gospel is actually being a detriment to the gospel. And surely you can understand this because there are things that we can do and say as a Christian that are worse than if we had just kept our mouth shut. Because sometimes there are ways that we live where people look at us and they say, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And so throughout this passage, you're gonna see this theme. Paul will show us how we can use our life to spread the gospel, to spread truth. And he'll give us examples of ways that would be detrimental to the gospel that we can avoid. And he starts off first by giving us a picture of an approved workman. So look with me. We'll read verse 15 and a couple verses after it. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, there it is again, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are some fun names, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Stop there. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Friends, always remember this. In matters of truth, we seek the approval of God above all others. How do we gain that approval? Well, it's right here in this passage. We gain that approval by rightly handling his truth. Now your Bible might have rightly dividing in those verses. The words that are actually translated as rightly handling or rightly divided, it actually literally means cut it straight. So you might think of a picture of someone who's responsible to cut a straight path through the wilderness. As believers, it is our obligation to know this word well enough that we can use it to cut a straight and narrow path to life through this world for others to follow. And that is how we can be an approved workman. But then just like in the last section, Paul gives us the alternative. And this time he actually puts names to it. He talks about these two characters, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, I wish I had time to get into the specific heresy and false teaching that these two were caught up in. It's really interesting, but I don't. And so you'll just have to trust me that they were teaching falsehoods about the coming fulfillment of the bodily resurrection of believers. At some point, these two had been handed the gospel. Someone had done the job of passing on the gospel to them, and then they had taken it and decided to add their own spin on implications of its truth. And the result 
was a sickness like gangrene that was spreading through the church. See, don't miss this. When you mix what is false with what is true, what you get is false. In matters of truth, in matters of teaching this word, we must always be sure to teach only this word and not seek to put our spin on it and not be people that teach falsehoods. And I have to say, I think this is really relevant to the day and age that we find ourselves in. Now, none of you watching this are probably going around teaching heresies about the coming resurrection of the physical body. Now, if you are, stop, come talk to the pastors. They'd love to sit down with you and correct that. But what you're probably more likely caught up in are falsehoods about other things in our world. Now, I'm not getting partisan in saying this. I'm being equal opportunity because you and I both know that there is fake news and conspiracy theories on both sides of every major issue that we face in this world. And if you don't believe me, get a Facebook account and scroll through your wall. Now, look, I don't have the authority or the time to get bogged down on this with you today, but let me just say this. If you are sharing falsehoods, whether in person or online, six days a week, nobody cares what you have to say about Jesus on the seventh day. In fact, you might be one of those who's actually detracting from the gospel. Because if you're sharing falsehoods all the time and then you sprinkle in a little bit of God's truth, they're gonna group God's truth in with the rest of the falsehoods that you're spreading. See, being a person of truth, living out God's truth all the time is a full-time job. You do not get days off. And when you decide to step away from the truth and mix in a little bit of falsehoods, it takes time to recover. In fact, that's what Paul says right in the next part of this passage. Go, go with me, go down to verse 20. We'll just read 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Honorable vessels. So let me ask you, what's the most honorable vessel in your house? I was thinking about this this week as I was getting ready to teach. And actually, it didn't take me long to think of it. Those who know me well won't be surprised when I grab this from down here. This, to me, is the most honorable vessel in my house. And if you don't know what this is, congratulations. That means that your coffee habits are much cheaper than mine. But what this is, this is an electric kettle that boils water that I use to make coffee every day at home. So this kettle, this vessel, has a very honorable purpose in my house. I love it. I keep it clean. In fact, when I first got this kettle, I noticed that if I used tap water in it, it would get a buildup and some, some impurities would get into the kettle. So now, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I only use bottled water to make my coffee at home. And I know I'm outing myself as a coffee snob, but the point is this, this kettle has a really specific and honorable purpose in my home. And in order to fulfill that purpose, it needs to be kept free of impurities and only filled with clean water. So this is the picture that Paul's giving us in this passage. If you wanna be a person of truth, if you wanna be an honorable vessel for God, you have to not only fill yourself with his truth, you have to free yourself of impurities, free yourself of falsehoods, free yourself of sin. And then think about this, this, this kettle, it's just an electric kettle. It can only boil water. This thing cannot actually make coffee. All it can do is be full of boiling water, about 205 degrees. And then I may choose to use it as my chosen instrument to make a cup of coffee. 
This is the picture of our role in this whole agenda of God's redeeming purposes for humanity because God's gonna accomplish his will and it's ultimately he who accomplishes his will. Our only hope is to be his chosen instrument, just like it says in this passage, that he may choose to use to accomplish his special purposes. And just like this kettle, all that we can do is empty ourselves of impurities, fill ourselves with God's truth, and then stand ready for the master to use us for his purposes. And if you're anything like me, when you hear that, that excites you. That sounds like a purpose worth living for. And so right now you're asking, how how can I do this? Well, the good news is, Paul spends the rest of the passage we'll walk through actually breaking down some nuts and bolts of how we can be an honorable vessel and we can live out God's truth in our lives. So look, right in the next section, verse 22, we'll just read that one verse and stop there for a moment. So, so, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful passions. Your Bible might say flee youthful lusts. And I'll admit I've heard this verse many times in my life. And when I hear that youthful passions or youthful lusts, my first thought is sins of the flesh. I think of sexual sins. But I studied this passage getting ready to talk today. And I actually don't think that's what Paul's talking about because in context, this this word for passions or lust could mean any type of sin or impetuousness that young people may have a tendency towards. And that's actually a tough thing to admit because if this were talking about sexual sins, it'd be easy to just gloss over, right? Because those are hidden. But I actually think Paul's dealing with something much more on the surface, something he's been dealing with all through the passage. And that is harmful words, irreverent babble and quarrels. In fact, right after this verse, he's gonna come back a third time and give us another emphasis on the importance of being cautious with our words. The youthful passions Paul's talking about are things like pride, stubbornness, argumentativeness, harshness in our words. And this isn't out of the ordinary for Paul either. He has a lot to say about how we talk. In fact, if you wanted, you could flip over to Colossians, just a couple books back. Look at chapter four. It'll be right here on the screen. Colossians chapter four, verse six, Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Paul takes this, how we talk. He takes this very, very seriously. In fact, back in our passage in 2 Timothy, the word that is probably translated as flee in your Bible is a Greek word that that we get the English word fugitive from. So Paul's literally saying these youthful passions, this stubbornness and arrogance and, and harmfulness in your speech, run from that like you are running from the law. But he also tells you what to run towards. Again, it's right here in the book. Run towards righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those, that's the church, who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, Paul really wants us to get this. So he's given us this picture of an approved workman who teaches only truth. He's given us what it looks like to be an honorable vessel, free of impurities, ready to the Lord's work. And now he gives us one more picture, the picture of the Lord's servant. So look with me. Go down to verse 23 and we'll read the next couple verses. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Again, there he is coming back to wars of words. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. You can stop right there. I love what Paul does here. 
because he gives us an actual list. Like these are the things you need to do if you want to live out the teaching that I'm giving you. And you might even notice that this list sounds a little bit like a list that we studied earlier in this series of a list of qualifications for pastors or elders. And the reason it has that same feel is it was written by the same guy. But there's a key difference here. This list isn't to pastors. This list is to the Lord's servant. And if you're watching this and you're a believer in the gospel of Christ Jesus, I have news for you. You are called to be the Lord's servant. So this list is for you. You need to live out what is in this passage. Just look at it. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Again, we've already talked about that, but kind to everyone. Sit on that for a second. Able to teach. Again, you may not be a teacher up here on Sunday morning, but you are called to pass on the gospel. There is someone in your life that you are called to teach from this book, patiently enduring evil and correcting opponents with gentleness. Well, now this is the part of the message that I don't like. And I I admire Jason because he often does this. He's often really real with the things that he struggles with from this pulpit. And it's harder for me, but I'll be honest, this teaching, correcting his opponents with gentleness, this is something I've struggled with all my life. Now you might can tell from the way that I'm moving and the fact that I'm sweating, but I'm a passionate guy. And in my passion, I sometimes get so caught up in teaching truth and in correcting falsehoods that I forget to do it in a Christ-like way. I look back on my life and I shudder at some of the arguments I've had, arguments that have, have literally cost me relationships that have never been the same. I even look back to a few years ago when I was 20 miles from here at a seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm ashamed to think of some of the arguments that I had in that seminary, in classes where we were studying the Bible. I was so caught up in teaching the truth of God's word and the truth of Jesus that I forgot to teach it in his way. And and friends, when that happens, when we forget to teach the truth of Jesus in the way of Jesus, we miss the point. Look with me at the end of this passage. We'll go back to verse 25 and read through the end of the chapter correcting his opponents with gentleness, why God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. All right, let's break it down. You are called to teach the truth of Jesus and the way of Jesus so that others may find the forgiveness of Jesus. That's what we're doing here. We're not trying to win arguments when we discuss things online or when we teach from God's word. We're trying to win souls. And so if you are a believer, this is for you. Your whole life, your platform, your followers, your friends, your family, you need to leverage that to share the gospel. It doesn't mean you can't talk about other things. It doesn't mean you can't talk about political issues. It doesn't even mean that you can't talk about conspiracy theories, but it does mean that everything you engage with, you need to engage in with a spirit of truth and be aware that you are always representing the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. And if you want to know how to live that out, it's right here in this passage. You need to be an approved workman who only knows and teaches truth. You need to be an honorable vessel who frees yourself of impurities and sin and stands ready and full of truth for the Lord to use you as his chosen instrument in this world. And you need to be the Lord's servant, teaching that truth and living as that vessel in a spirit of mercy and graciousness in a spirit of humility and love. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, is is that it? I just have to only teach truth and I have to be free of any sin and I have to only be gracious and merciful to everyone around me. I can't do that. And you're right, you can't. And I'll let you in on a secret, neither can I. But here's the good news. Jesus knows that we can't live up to this. 
That's why the Bible teaches that our sufficiency is not found in ourselves, but it is found through him before God. Look with me in 2 Corinthians. This is the last scripture we'll look at today. I know we've jumped around a lot and it's been really, really quick, but I just wanna show you this from 2 Corinthians chapter three, verses four, and I'll read five as well. It says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ, through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You can stop right there. So think about this for a minute. The call of the passage we looked at today, the call of this passage in 2 Timothy 2 is a heavy call. It's hard. But the good news is, Each time that we strive to follow this call or the other difficult things in scripture and we fall, we can look towards our savior who has succeeded in those areas where we will always fail. We can look towards Jesus who was the ultimate approved worker who only taught truth in full authority. When Jesus spoke, he didn't just teach from the scriptures, he spoke scriptures. Jesus, who is the ultimate worthy and honorable vessel who came to earth for the honorable task of redeeming sinners and removed and and kept any impurities from ever entering his body and then went to his death, even a death on the cross to fulfill his purpose. And Jesus, who was the Lord's servant, who taught this fullness of truth and fullness of grace and humility and love. And here's the best part. Every time that you trip and fall, every time that you come up short as an approved workman or as an honorable vessel or as the Lord's servant, every time you fall, look to Jesus. And what you will see is not only Jesus modeling all the things that you can't succeed in, Jesus is holding out his hand to you to help you back to your feet and back on the path to righteousness as a teacher and person of truth. That should get you excited. That should get you thankful for the gospel. But there's some of you watching this and everything I just shared, if you're honest, it leaves you more discouraged than before because you were tracking through this passage. Okay, we got to teach truth. That's tough. Oh, we got to be free of impurities. That's a little harder. Now I got to be merciful and, and careful in my speech towards everyone. And you're feeling like it's impossible. And then you hear the only way it is possible is through Jesus. And you realized you don't know Jesus. And maybe if you're honest, the reason you never accepted Jesus' gospel is because you have encountered Christians in your life that weren't on the side of promoting and sharing the gospel, but they were over here being a detriment to the gospel. And you looked at them and you said, if that's what the gospel is about, if that's what following this Jesus is about, I want nothing to do with it. Man, if that's your story, I'm sorry. And I wish I could tell you to look to me, but I can't because I'm a sinner. So you and I were born sinners. And the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. But it also teaches that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I want you to know today that the truth of the gospel is true, that Jesus really came and lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. And then he went to his death on a cross to pay for the sins that we've committed, that he rose again, overcoming sin, death, and the grave. And he is seated high on his throne as the Lord and savior of the world. And if something stirred in you, when I gave that illustration, I gave that picture of Jesus reaching out his hand to help his followers back to their feet. I want to encourage you. You too can look to Jesus today and you will find that he is standing there waiting for you 
to welcome you into his kingdom, into his forgiveness, into his salvation, and then to help you begin your journey as a person of truth who shares the truth of this book and the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. If that's you, I want to encourage you, do not wait another day to make the decision to follow Jesus. All you have to do is repent and believe. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make and it's completely free, but it will cost you everything because it will mean that you will dedicate the rest of your life to following him in the most worthy and exciting adventure you've ever been a part of. And so if you're wrestling with that right now, if you're feeling something tingling, you're feeling something inside pulling you towards that, that is God drawing you to him. And I want you to know that here at Fielder Church, there are pastors standing by ready to help you as you wrestle with this decision. All you have to do is text the word next step to 94253. That'll be right here on the screen. Next step to 94253. And a pastor will get with you to help you discuss what it looks like to leave your old ways and be born again following Jesus. It is the best and greatest decision you could ever make. But for those of us who already made that decision, for those of us who've accepted the gospel, for those of us called to be teachers of this book, in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Pastor Jason's going to come and lead in that. And I'm excited personally to receive it because I know that even though we're scattered right now online, we're gathering as the church. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray as we transition to the Lord's Supper. And I just want you to ask yourself a really simple question. After I pray in the moments of silence after that, ask yourself, where in your life are you failing to live up to the standard of God's truth? And then when God reveals those areas to you, repent of them, but don't dwell on them. Don't sink into sorrow and despair. Rather, give them to Jesus and ask him to manifest his power in your weakness for him to be sufficient in ways that you never will. Because there's a reason that we know that Christ says his grace is sufficient for us because his power is made perfect in our weakness. I'm gonna pray, reflect on those questions. Dear Lord, I thank you for the chance to open your word today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the faithfulness of Paul two millennia ago being passed down to us. I pray that as we transition to this time to take the Lord's Supper, you would reveal in us where we come up short and then you would reveal that you have already made us sufficient, that your power is working in our weakness. I pray, Lord, that there are those right now that are listening to this, that are debating if it's time to make the decision to follow Jesus, to text that number. I pray in Jesus' name, you would give them the courage to send that message and take the biggest step of their life. Lord, as we transition to the Lord's Supper, I pray for your presence in this room and your presence in every single room that is watching this service. In the most precious name of Jesus, amen.